and I'm Kat, and welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale, Natalie, is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. And here's your disclaimer, chatters. The following Crime Chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent scenarios today, so your listener discretion is advised. You've been warned, and before we get into today's Crime Chat, season three. Three chatters! Can you believe it? Season three. I know, we're in season three. This is fantastic. And as y'all know, we take kind of October as a month to like research and refresh and kind of get a new thing going for the next season. And we've got quite the lineup for you guys. Yes. And like tradition, before we get into today's crime chat, Kat, <laughs> what have you done? You're going to be disappointed. Oh, stop. I didn't watch the fall, the fall of the House of Usher. I haven't watched it yet. Okay, well, okay, I, believe well. me, it's there. I am anticipating, like, but my schedule and Chris's schedule just have not like aligned. So I've been swamped with my school work. I've got uh-huh. work, work going on. I've got some contract stuff that I've been helping out with. So it's like I've got these, like, all of the things going on. It's got family coming into town, so it's it's been a little cray cray. Just. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reading for my class. Okay. So I finished my two books. I did a Sherlock Holmes book Mm -hmm. because we had to pick a classic and a contemporary book. Right. And then sit there and you analyze it and everything. So I did a Sherlock Holmes book called The Sign of the Four. Okay. And I did, my favorite author is Patricia Cornwell. So I reread the last book of hers that I read. I reread it again, but I read it as a writer mm-hmm. and not as a reader for entertainment. So that was super interesting. Okay. So I want to get into a book again. What would you recommend? Wow. Something (laughs) true crime, but maybe juicy. Like, I love Sherlock Holmes. So if there's, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to read enough, like, give me something else that I wouldn't think of, that I would never in a million years even think of the author. Oh, gosh. There's so many. I don't, I like, I I mean, and, and James Patterson is, he's another one of, like, my favorites. I know he's kind of cliche. Mm hmm. But they, he did a book that was actually, it was nonfiction, uh-huh. and it was talking about a couple of different cases that I thought was very, very good. And the name of it is escaping me right now, but he did write a nonfiction book on true crime, uh-huh. which was super interesting. Of course, I'm going to go with Patricia Cornwell. I mean, she's got this series called the Scarpetta series, right. and it follows medical examiner Dr. K. Scarpetta through various different books. I mean, there's probably, I'm guessing, but like maybe 20 books in this series so far. Right. And the one that I just reread again for this class, there's one, it came out in 2021. There's one that came out either in 2022 or 2023. So there's another book that I still have to read like on the series. But I personally like series books. Not not everybody does, but I personally like series books because I like to be able to follow the character. It's like an ongoing movie. Like she always brings up like either previous other characters in the book, like some sort of familiarity that you kind of feel comfortable Uh bringing up, like flashing back to some previous things, but then also taking a lot of those same main characters and pushing them into a new adventure. So Okay, so Patricia Cornwell, what book would you recommend I pick up? What series? Well, the Scarpetta series. Scarpetta. And you have to start from the beginning. By the way, well, it's it's Italian. Her backstory (laughs) is she's an Italian. She's born in Miami, Florida, but her family came from Italy, so she's her family is of Italian immigrants. So okay, yeah, sounds juicy. All right, I'm gonna and then now for the next podcast, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna go pick it up like this weekend. Okay, and I'm gonna read some of it. I'm gonna tell you what I think. Okay, we should do like a book club. Crime Chat Book Club. Yes. Yes. But we're going to have to feature my own book when I eventually get there one day. Yes. <laughs> so that's kind of all I, I said. Follow the House of Usher is on the to do's. Trust me. I know it. Okay. okay but what good. about you? I haven't done really anything but work, write this story. Yeah. Edit the updates that we just had. Yes. We just did a bunch of case updates for season two. That was fun. Yes. Yeah. And you know something? I noticed that like when I, so my dog is named, her name is, I have two dogs, Bella and Samantha. Mm-hmm. And for years, and I just made this connection, for years, I have always said when I, when I walk Samantha, I'm like, Samantha, go do your shit business. I have been saying that for oh 12, gosh. 13 years. The dog is 
13, 14 years old. I've yeah. been saying it for as long as she's been around. And I just said, holy crap. <laughs> what? <laughs> holy Ping! crap. Because her name is Samantha. So I always said, shabusiness. business. Go do your Samantha business. <laughs> That's so. hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so to get into our cases today, because we're doing like a, we're doing two stories. Yes. This is going to be kind of part of our theme when we do our, we'll do our season premiere. Our season finale is going to be on female serial killers. And then our bonus episodes, which are the fifth Saturday of the month, only available on Patreon in full, Mm -hmm. will also include female serial killers. Mm. So get over to patreon.com forward slash crime chat netcat to subscribe before all the shabusiness gets going on. Yes, and it seems like the chatters, they do like murderous females for some reason. So They do. They do. Four of our top five last year were all female killers. Yep. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's get into the deets. So the U.S. leads the rest of the world in documented serial killers with a whopping 3,613 serial killers as of 2020. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So England, not so close second with a 176 serial killers as of 2020. Like It's a huge gap. Like, number two is literally, like, what, 3%? They're so normal. Yeah, like, they're normal, <laughs> and they're, like, caring, loving people, and we're just, what the hell? We're murdering. <laughs> <laughs> the data tracks a number of serial killers that have been active each year, too, with 1986 being the peak in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Generally, murders by serial killers in the U.S. was at the highest between 1970 and 1990. Yes. You know that. Yes. Which is when some of the most sensationalized killers, and we're thinking Bundy, Dahmer, Ramirez, yeah. Gacy, Kemper, amongst many more. A lot of the people that we have covered. And we covered one of these people, right? Kemper. We did add Kemper. Kemper. Tupata last season. Yes. Yeah. He's the smartest one out of all of them. <laughs> he is. Mm. Okay. Well, while men make up a majority of this surge, women serial killers have remained fairly stable over the centuries because we don't get caught. <laughs> But talking about female serial killers, did you know over the last century, women made up about 11% of all serial murder cases? Yeah. Most recently, it has decreased to about 8%. Of these percentages, about 70% of documented female serial killers, their motive? Financial gain, girl. Yeah. Do it for the money, money, money. My- <laughs> yes. Now, typically women don't torture or butcher their victims. Rather, they opt for more quiet killers. Where did you come from, Valerie Pate? (laughs) She was, well, uh, she's a minority in the modus operandi, which is typically poisons. Hmm. So this accounted for nearly half of all female serial killers used poison Mm. to kill their victims. The other half included smothering knives, guns, Valerie Pape. (laughs) Women are more likely to kill people that they know with poison or asphyxiation. And this was about 80%. They knew their victim. You got to piss us off. You got to piss us off. Drawing less attention to their crime, they also tend to kill either at work or at the home. Mm. And also, women tend to kill serially over a longer stretch of time than men do. So they like to sprinkle it out. If you think of the Leonardo Cinciulli, Uh she killed three women over the span of about a year and a half. So just as an example, like a longer stretch of time. Uh Now, one theory that I found was like super interesting was that the roots of men and women Why they kill actually goes back to the hunter-gatherer heritage concept. Now, men hunted, women gathered. Uh And when this was evaluated through evolutionary psychology, modes of killing were listed to be a byproduct of the hunter-gatherer heritage. Men are more likely to hunt their victims, while women gather to draw the victim in, victims in near to them. Isn't that super interesting? That is super interesting. <laughs> I just thought that was God, cool. I never knew that. Yeah. And and women, I guess, are less violent, mm-hmm. less of a mess. Yeah. I don't want to clean up that mess. I just if you, go, if you go quietly in your sleep, that's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'll oh, grieve I'm... you just the same. 
Yes, that was a good intro because that sets us up for the entire season. Yes, it does. So be ready, chatters. But today we're going to give you two, Mm. two stories of to kick off the season with female serial killers. Uh huh. Well, Kat, have you ever heard of the giggling granny? I have. Or she also goes by the lonely hearts killer, or the black widow, or as one newspaper put it. A self-made widow. Oh, okay. <laughs> These are the nicknames, uh, well, some of the nicknames for Nanny Doss, an American mm. serial killer who gained notoriety by murdering multiple people, multiple family members, including mm. five husbands and a monster-in-law. <laughs> now, I I totally do not agree with murder at all, but, you know, mother-in-law's Okay, when you hear her her side, you're going to be like, oh, shit, yeah, okay. That's what I was going to ask is, not (laughs) not that, was it justified, but was it justified? Yeah, no, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes. Ish. (laughs) Ish. (laughs) So today, our crime chat takes us to Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. Do you, have you, have you been to Alabama? I lived in Alabama. You lived in Alabama? Yeah, I lived in Alabama for almost four years. I was stationed there. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say, I, yeah. I thought you came from Jersey. Jersey to Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was the last state that I lived in before moving to South Carolina. So I lived just outside of Montgomery. So how did you like it? It's a lot like it is here. Is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's very similar. Yep. So our case is in the Blue Mountain area, which is a okay. small and quiet town. It's surrounded by the stunning natural scenery in the Appalachian, I guess, of the Appalachian region. Are you, mm-hmm. You've been there before. You said last time yeah. we had a conversation about this before. So this is probably the, what, northern northern Alabama. You got me. I have never yeah. been there. <laughs> yeah. Know. We'll go with yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this includes rolling hills, forests, and streams. The Appalachian Mountains span across several states in the United States, including Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York. So yeah, it's big. Okay. It's a big, big, big and long. I have lived in one, two. (laughs) So I've lived in one, two, three, four of those states. I Mm -hmm. have family in an additional four states. Mm -hmm. So we over up in the Appalachians. So I think I've been, I've never been to Alabama. I've been to Georgia. I've never been to Tennessee. I've been to North Carolina, South Carolina. Never been to Kentucky. I think I drove through Virginia and West Virginia. <laughs> been to Maryland, Pennsylvania, of course. New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a huge area that spans like, yeah. it's and apparently it's like absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Especially so. this time of year. And isn't the Ozarks in that area? Ozarks is in Missouri. Missouri. Okay. Yes. I don't know why I keep on Don't you remember the, the TV show? Yeah. The TV show, Ozarks? Yeah, yeah. It's, from, it's Missouri. So it's a completely different place. Yes, okay. Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our leading lady, Nanny, was born November 4th, 1905 in Blue Mountain, Alabama, to parents James Hansel and Lune Holder. Nanny was one of five children. She had one brother and three sisters. Although specific details about them were not widely known, we know that one of her sisters was named Dovey, mm-hmm. who eventually died under mysterious circumstances. So, oh. bad nanny. Do we need to put a pin in that? We need to put a pin in that. Okay. Okay. So, the Doss family looked like the typical southern household with a white picket fence and a farm. Her father, however, was very abusive when dealing with this family. Mm-hmm. He kept his children home to work on the farm rather than go to school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, he was giving birth to, like, his help, basically. Well, yeah. he wasn't giving birth. He was, like, spawning his help. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Nanny, and, <laughs> Nanny and her siblings worked from sunrise to sunset on the farm and missed sure. out on a proper education. Mm-hmm. This is what kind of, well, this is what people think attributed to Nanny's poor academic performance and the primary reason why her, why the entire family, including the mother, hated the father. Like, everybody hated this man, James. Yeah, yeah. But unlike her father, Nanny's mother, Lou, was a loving, loved her children and Mm -hmm. was probably one of the few good things in Nanny's life growing up. Lou had also this, like love for romance novels and magazines and hell with with a husband like james i mean you're gonna retreat to sure shit like that yeah you're gonna it yeah. is what it is 
There are so many women that got into Fifty Shades for a very valid reason, okay? <laughs> just saying. I so, noted okay. I never did. I'm quite satisfied. So there we there go. There you go, girl. There you go. <laughs> you know, the, the crazy part is like all my friends were saying, oh my God, you got to read Fifty Shades. I'm like, oh my God. I was at Sam's Club and I saw Fifty Shades at the counter when you were, were checking out. I'm like, you know what? Let me try yeah. it. Let me buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe I couldn't believe how dirty it was. I could not believe it. I'm, and then I started looking at my friends differently like, girl, you were into some stuff. But anyway. Never right. read it. Never watched any of the movies. You're not missing anything. No. No. Okay. Not missing anything. Okay. So she also started reading her mother's romance novels and she it became like a passion of hers. She loved, I guess, just like, you know, mentally checking out of her life and kind of going on this little fantasy of falling in love and running Mm -hmm. away and all Mm -hmm. this good stuff. Yeah. Now, despite being in a house full of people, Nanny was really lonely. And I could see that. She's the eldest. She's kind of like, you know, probably taking care of the younger siblings. Sure. And her father's abusive and doesn't allow her to do anything. Now, her father not only kept them from attending school, but he did not allow the girls from wearing any, like, attractive or clean clothing or even put on makeup till the late teen years. Mm-hmm. In his twisted way, James believed that he was protecting his daughters from molesters. So, hmm. in his mind, having them wear rags was the best way to go about it. Okay. He also prohibited them from attending social events, no school dramas or dances or birthday parties and they rarely left the farm so this was a tough childhood and we you know nanny gonna go crazy yeah nanny so nanny reported also a childhood injury later on she said that when she was about seven years old nanny and the whole family just went on a train to visit some relatives in southern alabama Mm -hmm. and the train like stopped abruptly and nanny was thrown from her seat and she hid her head on like a metal bar that was sitting in front of them In what she said was like due to the impact, like she allegedly got a head injury. And Uh from that point on, now this could be all true, you know, but this is also from a seven-year-old girl saying like she remembered this. Like she was never, there was no like medical treatment. Sure. She said from that point on, she suffered from severe headaches, blackouts, dizzy spells, and also later suffered from depression. Mm-hmm. Nanny would later go on to blame her mental instability and personality disorders on that accident. So that's why I'm saying I'm well, like, eh. I, I mean, ugh, head, the, head uh, the upbringing. The, yeah, Thank head injury you. in itself. But like the upbringing Thank you. is enough to do any kind of like personality disorder, mental mm-hmm. instability. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Which leads us to her first marriage and murder. In 1921, Nanny started her first job with the Linen Thread Company. It was at this job she met Charles Bragg, a co-worker at the factory. Mm-hmm. Their two started dating with the approval of Nanny's mother, of course. Mm-hmm. The young couple dated for about a few months, and then her father got involved, and at 16, he said, Nanny, you need to marry that man. Go get married. Oh, okay. And being a good girl, she obeyed, and the couple was married. She was 16 years old. Wow. Well, I mean, that was kind of typical in that time. Yeah. And I don't, the crazy part is I don't know, there's not a lot of information about everybody else in this story. It's a lot of information about her, but it seems like a lot of people separated themselves with this woman. Okay. And you'll see why. Sure. You would expect things to get better once she got married and was able to leave the house, James's house, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But no, her situation got considerably worse, okay? So she left an abusive house, her, you know, her father's abusive house. Right, right. And then she moved in, well, with her, her now husband, Charles Braggs, but Charles had a mom, okay, mm. who moved in with them. Moved in this with them? Like, she mo- didn't move in with Charles and his mom? No, no, no. The mother-in-law moved in with them. So she was already, they were already living oh. at, like, an apartment, and then mother-in-law was like, oh. Oh, boy. No, I want to live with my son. So, so Charles was her only son, and she was not married. Yeah, she, so yeah. I guess she felt like she was getting left behind or something. And this is not like a mother-in-law. This is a monster-in-law. So oh, lordy. She became a real problem in Nanny's marriage. 
And she was like very insistent, like after they got married, I need to live with you guys. I please bring me in. Da, da, da. And of course, Charles was beholden to his mother and basically did anything his mother said. So mm. Nanny did not have any power here. And that's mm-hmm. hard for a woman to accept. I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. At this time, though, I mean, it was more of a culture socially accepted for the woman to be the homemaker and yeah. to listen to the man. And yeah. And I think like with this, and this is, this happens a lot, especially in Italian households. Like I always felt like as a woman, once you, if you have a daughter or a son that gets married and you're now maybe living in with them, like you are no longer Queen B. Yeah. She is Queen B. Yeah. You are now Queen Mother. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you sit and do nothing, but you really have no say. Like you need to give the other woman the ability to have that authority and a lot of mother-in-laws take that away yeah because they don't want to let go of their son and it really is a sick twisted little relationship but yeah i see you i see you mother-in-laws you can't <laughs> stop that that's not good you're gonna end up like this lady okay <laughs> so on top of that whole crazy situation and nanny not having any power in her house nanny was also the the mother-in-law told her son Nanny shouldn't be allowed to leave the house either when she wanted to. Mm. And you know what? On top of that, when Nanny's mother, Lou, comes to visit, she can't stay with us. She needs to go to a hotel. What? Yeah. Yeah. So you can see who this mother is. Yeah. So now, between 1923 and 1927, the couple had four daughters. Like, they were they were busy. Popping them out. And, <laughs> Woo! Yeah. and within that time, the mother-in-law's temperament only got worse and worse because you know what? Now she has a woman not only competing for her son's love and attention, but now she just produced four more girls mm-hmm. that are competing. So now the mother-in-law is feeling especially weak in that situation, and she should. But Nanny started to drink to escape the hell that the mother-in-law put her through mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mean to sympathize with the serial killer here, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like when, you know, you're raising Four young kids and you have people, other adults in the household going against you. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a hard, hard situation to be in. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I feel. She needed some sort of escape. She apparently didn't have any books to escape anymore. <laughs> no. And you kind of feel bad for her for a moment, but that moment's going to be gone. Okay. Okay. During her escaping and drinking a lot, she also became heavily addicted to mm-hmm. drinking she became an alcoholic mm-hmm. her marriage to Braggs started to turn sour as both partners suspected that the other one was cheating okay and they were both correct oh yeah so Braggs started to disappear regularly for days at a time and his mother was like what there's nothing to see here he's he's doing his thing he's hanging out with God. yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> so this <sighs> actually is what triggered Nanny's murderous streak. Sure. So in 1927, two of Nanny's daughters mysteriously died after having breakfast. Oh. Yeah. An investigation into the incident revealed that both girls had died as a result of food poisoning, Mm -hmm. which was weird because Nanny reported that she shared the same breakfast with them, but surprisingly, nothing happened to her. Okay. The issue here is that I am not sure which two daughters she poisoned. It's not anywhere to be found. Okay. Like, I don't know if they were the oldest two. Or the youngest two? Like, I don't know who... They, there's no names attached to this. It's yeah. crazy. Well, it might be the oldest two because if you're thinking that she's got four kids mm-hmm. under the age of four, the oldest two are probably the ones eating, like, real food. Right. So this is 1927. Yeah. So let's say the first daughter, first 1923, 1924. Right. So they would be sitting eating, like, eggs or something. Yeah. All right. Oh, my God. All right. So soon after the incident, Bragg's fled the house with their eldest daughter, Melvina. Melvina? So the eldest daughter wasn't killed then. Right. I just answered my own question. (laughs) (laughs) I love when that happens. Okay. All right. So uh, how do you... Melvina? So it looks like the two... Melvina. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like the eldest and the the newborn were the two left behind. Okay. Okay. Soon after the incident, Braggs fled the house... With the eldest daughter and also the newborn, Florin. That's a pretty name. Florin. Yeah, that is Flo- That is, I was going to say, yeah, that is Florin. <laughs> Florin is a pretty name. <laughs> this all happened after his mother, okay, monster, monster-in-law was onto something. Because you know what? 
evil can notice evil. Sure. You could pin out. So I think the mother saw something in her. So yeah. the mother warned him, do not eat anything your wife cooks for you because she thinks that she is poisoning the children. Okay. Braggs made the right move. They fled, and he earned the title in the neighborhood as being the only husband not killed from Nanny. Well, technically, he's not. You know, he yeah. wasn't killed from Nanny. Good job, Charles. Yeah. Braggs returned with Melvina in the summer of 1928 with his new girlfriend and new child. Mm. The couple got divorced immediately after that, and then she moved back in with her parent with her parents on the farm, mm-hmm. taking a job at a cotton mill to provide for herself and her daughters. Well, just the Second. one daughter, right? Because the oldest went with Charles. He brought her back oh, in 1928. Oh, but then he brought her back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tracking. And now when Charles fled with Melvina originally, did the monster-in-law go also? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're on to second marriage and more murders. Mm. Nanny met her next husband, Franklin Harrelson, through a Lonely Hearts column <laughs> in the newspaper. Oh, remember those? Oh. I don't. I, I don't. I, were, they were like, I'm assuming they were like Craigslist for dating. Yeah, it's like right? a cl- the classified ads. Single white female. I think it was originally called like the Lonely Hearts section, but it eventually turned into like the classified section of the newspaper. Why would you call it Lonely Hearts? You should be because you're searching for love. The hot singles, sizzling (laughs) singles. I don't know. That seems so bleak and so blah. Yeah, yeah. They exchanged letters and poetry and steamy photographs. Ooh. They got married the same year, but things took a turn for the worse as Harrelson's violent temper and alcoholism began showing up in their marriage. So, okay. you know what? Nanny's got a nanny's got a type. Let's put it that way. Was Nanny still drinking as well? Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they both had fuel in the fire. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. She de- but she definitely had like this temptation like she definitely had a type of a man that she likes sure maybe the bad boy she liked the bad boy yeah. i don't know yeah but despite this they were married for 16 years oh so okay during their marriage one of nanny's daughters melvina got married herself okay melvina had her first son in 1943 and then she had a daughter in 1945 but in 1945 while she was at the hospital exhausted from delivery melvina mm. thought she saw well, she thought she was dreaming at the time because she was like in and out of sleep. Mm-hmm. She thought she saw her mother, Nanny, kill her day-old daughter huh? by sticking a hairpin in her skull. Huh? She thought she dreamt it. Huh? Okay. Melvina woke up to the news that her infant daughter was dead. Oh, my gosh. She told her husband and her sister that what she saw that night, mm-hmm. and they also corroborated that, yes, they saw a hairpin with Nanny. Like, she was fiddling with a hairpin. I guess back then they had the really long yeah, hairpins yeah. to stick in. Yeah. They also said that, yeah, I saw her that night before the baby died as well with the hairpin. Oh, my God. I know. The tragic incident caused Melvina and her husband to separate. Meanwhile, dear old Nanny took out a $500 life insurance on Melvina's two-year-old son, Robert. Remember, Mm -hmm. she had a baby in 1943, a son. Yeah. On one fateful day, July of 1945, Melvina had a rather nasty argument with her mother about the man she was currently dating. Apparently, Melvina had the same type Uh, of man that Nanny did. Well, go figure. But Nanny didn't approve of it because, you know. (laughs) It wasn't her. Because she was judging. She was just very judgy. Okay. <laughs> the argument got so heated that Melvina stormed, stormed off to stay with her father for a while, leaving Robert in her mother's care. Like, why the fuck would you do that? Full knowing that she possibly could have hurt your baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Was it the just so, the girls? I don't like so far uh, she's only killed girls. That is a such a great point. I didn't even think about it. You're right. It could be like that female. What do you call that when female are super, like, I wouldn't say misogynistic against other females, but, like, take yes. Take out the competition. Take out the, oh, oh that's sick. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So she left Robert in the care of her mother, and on July 7th, Robert allegedly died of asphyxiation while home with, alone with Nanny. A couple of months later, she cashed in on Robert's life insurance, now, which was 500 bucks. did Melvina know that Nanny had a, a life insurance policy on Robert? No. Mm-mm. I didn't realize that you could do that back then, that you could just take a life insurance policy out on anybody. Yeah. That's crazy. Huh. 
I guess as long as you pay the premium. Right. Who cares? <laughs> oh, I think they're on to that, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, unfortunately for her family, Nanny's grandson wasn't the only murder committed that year. Oh, lordy. Her husband was next on the list. Mm-hmm. Nanny put rat poison in his whiskey the very next day, and Carlson was dead the same day. Yeah. Third marriage, and even more murders, Kat. This is just, this is a serial killer that just keeps on giving, okay? Yeah, yeah. Nanny met her third husband, Arlie Lanning, which is short as Lanny. Okay. Also through the Lonely Hearts column in the newspaper. Oh, Lord. I know. This time, the couple were married only after knowing each other for three days. Okay. But apparently, Nanny had a knack, like I said before, for picking out bad apples, because guess what? Was a prolific womanizer and alcoholic. Okay. (laughs) After a few years of a turbulent marriage, her husband, who was young and seemingly healthy, died of what was diagnosed as heart failure. Mm. Nanny hoped that she would get the house, Mm -hmm. but it turns out that Lanny left that for his sister in the will. Oh. So, Nanny set the house on fire. (laughs) (laughs) However, well, she set the house on fire to to collect on the hefty insurance money. Sure. But the one thing she left behind was uh, Lanny's mom was in the house. Oh. Two murders right there in that house. Yeah. Lanny's mom had a broken hip and she actually, she lived with them. Mm -hmm. She couldn't ambulate. She couldn't get up and and flee. Okay. At this point, Nanny moved in with her sister, Dovey, who was bedridden at the time. Dovey met an untimely death soon after. Nanny moved in. (laughs) So now she's got her house. Yep. Fourth marriage and some more murders. Nanny decided to join a dating service this time. She's like, you know what? The Lonely Hearts, they're only giving, they're only providing corpses. Like, I need a husband. (laughs) So she ended up joining the Diamond Circle Club. Mm -hmm. This seemed to work out really well for her because this is where she met her fourth husband. Now, question. Why do these women always find husbands? It's just what you did then. But you, they always get married multiple times. Always. Like, I don't understand, like, what is it about them that men just find, like, alluring? And she wasn't exactly attractive. I'll show you Well, the master manipulators. Yeah, narcissists. Yeah, you're right. Yes. They yes. know how to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Including making men fall in love. Yes. Well, it worked well on Richard Morton in 1952, who, unlike her previous husband, was not a raging alcoholic. But okay. Morton was still a womanizer. Okay. And he spent most of his nights with different women outside of his marriage. Oh. Only a year into the marriage, Nanny was already plotting how to murder Morton. Her mother dropped in unexpectedly. So there was one day where she was furious about finding out that he was like with other women. And she was like, that's it. I'm killing him. That's it. I'm getting arsenic. And ding dong, Lou is there at the house. Oh. Okay. So. Lou kind of like, without realizing... Foiled her plan. Right, and saved Morton for now, you know. Yeah. So, Nanny's mother, Lou, had lost her husband, well, Nanny's father, James. Yeah. And she thought at this time it was a good idea to move in. So, I guess back then, you didn't write letters or anything. You just showed up at the doorstep and like, I'm here, (laughs) you know. So, but this was a fatal mistake because only a few days into her visit, Lou experienced severe stomach pains before dying. Yeah. That and rat poison's only, a bitch. I know, that arsenic, it gets in everywhere, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so only three, day, three days later, Nanny kills her husband by spiking his coffee with arsenic. Arsenic for you, arsenic for, arsenic you, for you, arsenic for you. <laughs> <laughs> Who did that? Oprah did that. Oprah. With cars. That's right. Yeah. Only a few months later, after the death of her fourth husband, Nanny was already looking for a fifth <gasps> hubby. Lonely Hearts is right. I well, no, this is now the Diamond. What is this? The well, Diamond Circle Club. Well, I know, but she has a lonely heart. She does. Oh, the river, lonely heart. <laughs> so she found him three states over in Oklahoma. Samuel Doss is the only husband with no obvious flaws. So he wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't abusive. He wasn't a womanizer. But Nanny still found reasons to want him dead. <laughs> so She just needed to get out of Alabama. Yeah, yeah. The only clear reason or indication of why she would want him dead is that he was a minister and didn't allow romance novels in the house. So in her mind, <laughs> he needed to go. 
Mr. Das was hospitalized after eating a prune cake laced with arsenic, but he shockingly survived this ordeal. Okay. After this, he was discharged to go home, and Nanny did not waste any time finishing the job by poisoning his coffee with arsenic yet again. Mm -hmm. And this time, she got it right because she killed him, and she killed him the same day he got out of the hospital. Oh, honey, you're home. You want some coffee? This lady doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, she she just just doesn't care. She's like, you gotta go. Like, she gotta go. Yeah. As per her usual MO, Nanny had taken out two life insurance policies on Mr. Doss. But the doctor this time found that his sudden death was strange and highly unlikely and ordered an autopsy to be carried out. Yeah, they weren't as regular as they are, like, now. Right. Yeah, Yeah. they had to be, like, you had to have a reason to have an autopsy. Mm Mm-hmm. The autopsy revealed heavy amounts of arsenic in his system, which confirmed the suspicion, and Nanny was immediately arrested. Mm. Nanny refused to confess. Oh, you're going to love this. Until she, until they agreed to let her have ro- romance novels in jail. She's like, I'm not telling you shit until I have my romance novels. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's an easy one. Yeah, but there was like a strong connection between like she obviously she didn't know anything about love obviously her childhood was traumatized her yeah i mean her idea love. of love was in written in the novels right. thanks jane austen you know yeah <laughs> so she confessed to killing her grandson robert her second husband her third husband her third husband's mother her sister dovey her mother lou her fourth husband and her last her fifth husband now this is what's unclear it is unclear if she confessed to the killing of her two children early on during her first marriage yeah and also melvina's baby like i didn't see that oh okay so i'm but 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 it it, it does say that she did kill these people so it's like i'm assuming that they're assuming that they they connected the dots but i don't know if she actually confessed to it when they, when she was confessing gotcha maybe that was part of a plea bargain or something i don't know so she earned the nickname the giggling granny because she was constantly giggling and smiling while admitting or discussing her crimes that's what i was going to ask you why the giggling granny but you know what? Hmm. We just had Taylor Ship Business who was doing the same exact thing. True. The giggling, the smiles, the not, like, she's just having, it, it just yeah. totally disconnected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because of her gender, Nanny escaped the death penalty, but pled guilty on May 17th, 1955. Mm. And she got li- a life sentence without the possibility of parole. She often joked and smiled during the interviews with the reporters when discussing the murders. This even freaked out the prison so much that they said that she is not allowed. She is only allowed to work in the laundry department. She is not allowed anywhere near the kitchen. No knives. She's not to cook. No <laughs> knives. No, she can't poison anybody. She wasn't allowed near the kitchen. Okay. Nanny died on June second, nineteen sixty-five, after suffering from leukemia in the hospital ward of the Oklahoma State Penitentiary. She was buried at Oak Hill Memorial Park in Oklahoma with no family claiming her body mm-hmm. at, or even showing up for her funeral. Not surprised. Bye. She didn't have much family left anyway. No, she killed them all. She killed I them would, all. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, so Melvina, if, of course, if I was her daughter, I would disown her, but yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. It's terrible. Woo! Everybody was oh. dead. I know. I know. And so, except my- for Florin. Two. That's my story, girl. Florence. That's a pretty name. Okay. Well, that was awesome. Mm. I did not know all those details about the giggling granny, so thanks for doing that. Mm. My story today is going to give you some serious Julia Tafana vibes. Mm. I'm here for it. And if you don't know who that is, Chatters, go back to Season 1, Episode 7, a crime and oh. cosmetic segment called Aqua Tafana. Aqua Tafana. So as we know, we kind of talked about poison is a, often a weapon of choice when assassinating the powers that be. Starting in the very early history of Rome, today's story sets back into the days of the Roman Empire. We're going back. We're going like way back, way okay. back. And we're going to be highlighting the very first documented serial killer in history. And you guessed it. It's a woman. Now, many people think there's a limited number of women who have committed murder. However, that's not really the case. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Perhaps women are just simply better at getting away with committing these crimes and better at using more discreet methods. 
like poison. Uh-huh. Now, while most women do not use physical violence, it is merely just comes down to brains over brawn. Uh-huh. Today's story is about Locusta of Gaul. She was born in Gaul, a Roman province that is mostly enveloped by modern-day France today. And although the time frame of her birth is not exactly known, it's likely that she was born in the last years of the reign of Caesar Augustus, which was the very first Roman Empire. He reigned from 27 BCE until 14 AD. Or she was born during the first years of the following Roman Emperor, who was Tiberius, and he reigned from 14 to 37 AD. So we're talking like 2,000 years ago. Yeah, we're going way back. Yeah. Way, 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 way back. Okay. Now, as a young girl, Lacosta learned about the medicinal and harmful characteristics of botany. She was highly educated and skilled in the use of these herbs, including the benefits and dangers of certain plants. Lacosta enjoyed poison making the most and considered it to be the pinnacle of her craft. At some point around 40 AD, Lacosta ended up moving from Gaul to Rome. It's unclear originally, like, there's no documentation about, like, why she moved there, but perhaps it was aided by her well-known reputation of being quite the mixer of the macabre. Uh-huh. However, she would soon learn that people around her in Rome were very ambitious and greedy. Now, Rome at this time, a little history lesson here. Rome at this time was in the midst of transformation as the last two emperors, both Tiberius and Caligula, were both murdered by those closest to them. The city was filled with power struggles and assassinations. A common way to assassinate was with poison, and needless to say, Lacosta found herself at home. There were many people in Rome in those days who wanted to hurry along the deaths of their rivals and their relatives, and they needed it to make it look like it was a natural cause. Not only was there a rise in poisoning of food and drink, but there also became an impending fear of being poisoned. So not only was the threat there itself, but then there was like that, the fear of dying. Knowing that people are doing this. Yes. Like there is a a way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Now, subsequently, out of fear of this type of assassination, rulers of the area hired food testers and used slaves to make sure that their tasty treats weren't tainted. Uh Lacosta began creating small poisons for clients, but would soon find herself arrested and convicted using her lethal concoctions. However, with most of her clientele being in the upper class and of nobility, they were able to save her from execution on multiple occasions. And her skill as a maker of poisons was quickly recognized. Lacosta of Gaul was hired as the official poisoner of the imperial court. I was going to say, like, she's got a particular set of skills. She does, she does. <laughs> now, one who benefited from Lacosta's talents was Agrippina. She was the fourth wife and niece, because they married people of their own family uh-huh. at that time, of the current emperor, Claudius. Uh-huh. Agrippina was able to convince Claudius to make her son from a previous marriage, his name is Nero, name him the heir. So you've got the emperor, he's married, and the wife is saying, he's not your son, but my son from the previous marriage is older than our son together and should be named heir. This obviously, we remember, like, this was huge, right? Naming who was going to take after Mm -hmm. you. They did have a son. Claudius and Agrippina did have a son. His name was Britannicus. And it would be possible that Claudius at some point in time would actually change his mind, saying, no, I want my son, depending, of course, how long Claudius lived if Britannicus was able to be of like a healthy, uh, mature age to be able to take yeah. over, he could he could change his mind. Okay. But Agrippina grew impatient, and she devised a plan to get Nero, her son from the previous marriage, on the throne sooner rather than later. Now, supposedly, their marriage was a disaster anyway, <laughs> and Agrippina was documented saying that Claudius was an even bigger fool than her son Nero. Further, the empress wanted some rare compound which might derange his mind and delay his death so no one would suspect the crime. So a lot of this was written down. She kind of made her, made her wishes known. In 54 AD, Agrippina hired Lacosta. And it, as I mentioned, Lacosta was quite famous among the aristocratic people. And they conspired to kill Emperor Claudius. Agrippina knew that Claudius dearly loved mushrooms. And she also knew that the emperor had food tasters, so they came up with a plan. First, Lacosta supplied poison intended to irritate the bowels of Claudius's guard and food tester. So they were going to get the food tester and guard out of the way. With him out of the way, poison was then spread onto a dish of mushrooms, Claudius's favorite food. Back then, it was common for, I don't know if you've ever heard this, it was common for a feather to be used to induce vomiting if you suspected that you were poisoned. Never heard of that. 
Never heard of it. And being a cautious man, Claudius always had a feather nearby. In the event of suspected poison, he could use the feather to tickle the back of his throat, make himself vomit, get rid of the poison. Gross. So on this day, Agrippina served him the mushroom delicacy herself because the food tester was gone, right? Had some irritable bowels. Mm -hmm. And Claudius consumed them without hesitation. It is also possible that the poison mixed with the mushrooms also made him fall ill. It was the death cap mushroom is what they used. So it's possible that this mushroom mixed with the poison is what caused him to be ill. But the death cap mushroom was also his favorite. Well, a death cap, that's an actual mushroom? Yeah, the uh, scientific name is called uh, hmm, Amanita phalloides. 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 Yeah, nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) So he eats the mushrooms, he becomes sick. Claudius' own doctor, Gaius Sternius Exavon. You're doing amazing, it. girl. I'm going to say. <laughs> His own doctor inserted the feather into the emperor's mouth in order to induce vomiting. But they had a backup plan. The feather itself was also coated in poison. And that's what actually killed Claudius. Girl, she is on it. Not to mention, I think you're good at pronouncing these names because you are, you know what, you are, your name is derived partly for Greek. It's Irish and Greek. You are Irish and Greek. Yeah. I'm a geek. <laughs> I'm a geek. <laughs> now, of note, not only was Agrippina smart enough to hire Lacosta's services for the poison, but she also convinced the emperor's own staff to take part. On October 13th in 54 AD, Emperor Claudius was dead, and the 16-year-old Nero was named emperor. Agrippina was thrilled. It worked. At the time, she wasn't suspected of murdering Claudius, but Lacosta was immediately arrested and convicted because she was so well-known as the imperial court's official poisoner. Yeah, wow. Now, new emperor Nero... Aware of Lacosta's abilities, he wasn't eager to send her to execution. He still needed her. Mm. Quietly, a few months after her arrest, Nero ordered Lacosta to be released from prison and develop a new plan for her services. He wanted to eliminate any chance of his half-brother, the younger brother, Britannicus, from claiming the throne for himself. This is crazy. Nero followed in his mother's Agrippina's footsteps and hired Lacosta. However, Agrippina wasn't aware of Nero's plan. After all, Britannicus was also her son. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, you know what? Karma. (laughs) Karma. Yeah. So Lacosta was ordered to create a poison to kill Britannicus as swiftly as possible. Historical sources say that Lacosta used Atropa belladonna, Mm. commonly known as the deadly nightshade, and quite possibly arsenic, hemonine, mandrake, aconite from Monk's Hood. Whatever that is, cochleum, hellebore, and u extract. These were some of the most efficient and well known poisons in ancient Rome at the time. However, Lacosta's initial poison wasn't enough to kill Britannicus. It failed on the first try. Nero was pissed. Not only did he order Lacosta to make a stronger poison, he also ordered Lacosta to be tortured. He personally flogged her for her failure and no longer cared about being discreet either. He was like, you will make a stronger one. And in order to ensure the effectiveness of this new poison, Lacosta tested her toxins on animals and on slaves to prove to Nero that it was going to be effective. During the testing period, when the deaths were either like too slow or the poison was ineffective, they ramped it up until they were satisfied of the results. Oh, boy. The second try, 13 years old at this time, Britannicus, he was invited to a family dinner with the emperor and their mother. And at the time, Romans... You might not know some of this stuff. That's super interesting. Romans actually drank wine mixed with hot water. And depending on the consumer's preference, sometimes it was then cooled with cold water. So like they would raise it to a temperature and then cool it if you liked it cold or sometimes they liked it hot. Right. I'm confused. So like the the water itself was either hot or cold. So you'd have wine. Right. And they would add, it was typical for them to add hot water to it. But if it was too hot, like if the, if the emperor or somebody wanted to drink it right away and it was too hot, they would add then cold water to cool it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was like playing with the temperatures of the, of the wine. So Britannicus requested his wine to be cooled. He liked it cooled. He didn't like it hot. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had Gluvine hot wine? It's so good. I be- I want to say yes. I want to say I have had something like that. I don't know the name of it. It was a very long time ago and I did not like it. You didn't like it? Okay. I, yeah. well, the first time I had it was in the Christmas winter time frame when I was in Germany. Right. And I loved it. So good. I I loved it so much. I actually make hot wine in the winter months here. <laughs> 
how do you so what do you do for hot wine how do you put it together do you have to is there a particular brand that makes that's so good? you can, you can buy it okay. <laughs> you can buy it and it's usually a german brand mm. so like i'll go on base because i usually have it there without seeking it and going out too far but like they'll have it on base and it's made for heating so you buy it in the bottle like you normally would i just put it in like a little mini crock pot you can put it in a pot you can add like spices to it uh, cloves, nutmeg. That sounds good. Okay. Right, yeah. There's a lot of things you can make with it also. Okay, so back to the story. <laughs> so Britannicus, he requested his wine to be cooled, and his taster apparently did not test the cooling part of the water. So when he tested the wine, he only tested it when it was hot. And then when the cooling water was added to it, the water itself, the cooling water, is what Lacosta had poisoned. Wow, this girl is good. Like, yeah. she's good. Okay. Yeah. Scary good. Britannicus also apparently had epilepsy. And Nero had taken advantage of that. So once the poison was delivered to Britannicus at the dinner table, he fell ill immediately. When he ingested the poison wine, it circulated so rapidly in his veins that he became incapacitated and lost the ability to speak, much like a seizure. So when Botanicus began to convulse, Nero reminded the dinner guests and family members that his half-brother had a disease and his epileptic seizures were common. You can just leave him. He's fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> Many people were aware of this. Like, he was reminding them, and so nobody did anything. No assistance was called. Wow. Wow. Agrippina was pissed. She was, because she knew exactly what her son was doing. She recognized the plot immediately. What? And she was mad that Nero didn't consult her on this. She should have opened a can of whoop-ass on him. <laughs> How dare you kill your brother without me? Like, come on. <laughs> so she began to eat her dinner calmly, careful not to let her face show any sign to her son Nero or any of the guests that terror was actually filling her heart because she thought she was going to be the next target. Mm-hmm. The... Other family members soon returned to their meal as well. No one was brave enough or foolish enough to do anything about Britannicus against the Emperor Nero's wishes. Uh He was eventually taken to a room to recover, but of course would succumb to the poison. Also, poison apparently turns their victim's skin either a color red or color blue at at this time. Uh To avoid any suspicions, Nero had Britannicus buried in the same day of his death and covered his skin with like a white chalk-like substance to make where this – so Joffrey comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Remember like how his skin was turning like the different colors and stuff when he was poisoned? So that's kind of what I picture. So he died. They put this chalk-like white substance on it to make it look like nothing was happening. However, it rained that night and as (laughs) – People are out there, you know, honoring Britannicus, like, outside, and he's there, and they're mourning him. Mm. It began to rain, and it washed the chalk away, and this revealed Britannicus' skin, like, immediately. Mm. And again, La Costa was arrested, and accused and arrested of creating this poison that killed Britannicus. Not only did Nero exonerate La Costa, of this and all previous charges of any poisoning ever, he gave her immunity for all future ones. What? <laughs> what? Okay, Nero. Okay, Nero. I see you. Nero and Nanny. They would make a perfect couple. <laughs> Upon Britannicus's death, Nero rewarded La Costa with pardons, lands, lavish gifts, and condemned prisoners for her experimentation. Oh, God. Nero then allowed Lacosta to open a school <laughs> to teach others how to create poison. Are you kidding me? Her new formulas were tested on animals, enslaved, and then the condemned criminals. And while the exact number is not known or recorded, Lacosta herself likely killed hundreds while her poison-making students, their deaths were in the thousands. And on top of that, she got rich off of it. Wow. So this is like the first study facility like the first like what do you call that when you have that like the chemical a lab. like a lab right but it was like yeah just particular just to take like just those labs that like unfortunately they use animals and stuff like that yeah what do you call those te- yeah those testing facilities yeah like, the testing that's exactly what it is yeah. yeah she had her own testing facility is that this, she was 
like teaching students it's like a med school is this like for the botany first one though is this like the first I, testing facility quite she, possibly wow it's, yeah it's crazy so the imperial court had at this point earned a s- reputation within rome for poisoning hmm. and afraid that somebody would strike him down nero carried a deadly poison to commit suicide with rather than die violently by a slower acting concoction the it's like when you you know the spies when they're caught in or they don't want to say anything or you know whatever they eat the they pill. pop the pill mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep it was like that so Lacosta was free she was becoming very wealthy with her testing facilities but her contentment was brief becoming aware of what he had done citizens revolted against Nero. And the Senate actually had condemned him. In 68 AD, before he could be brought before the Roman Senate to stand trial for his many crimes, including the murder of his brother Botanicus, Nero killed himself with his own dagger. I don't know why he didn't just bite the poison, but whatever. A coward. I wouldn't want to, ugh. Yeah. So Nero's successor, his name is Emperor Galba, very quickly arrested Nero's cronies, anybody who conspired with him and sentenced them to death. And then he also caught Lacosta and condemned her to death in 69 AD. Any documentation like of the trial has, of course, since been lost. However, it was known that Lacosta was made an example of by Emperor Galba. He wanted to send a message that the new regime would not abide by the old rules and would act according to the law. Okay, at least he didn't hire her. <laughs> No, (laughs) he didn't. Some accounts say that Lacosta was smeared with vaginal juices of a female giraffe, raped by a specially trained male giraffe, and then torn apart by wild animals for her death sentence. Some accounts say that. However, that's like beyond any imagination. Yeah. It's more likely that she was hauled through the streets of Rome and executed by human hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Either way, her execution was severe, even actually by Roman standards at the time. After her death, many Roman historians condemned Lacosta. And in the first century, Roman historians tore apart emperors like Nero and Caligula and the tales of Nero's poisoning and his enemies that made him look like a coward because mm. poison was seen as a woman's weapon and not the tool that a manly Roman soldier would use to confront their rivals. It was like sneaky. Yeah, of course. So some describe Lacosta of Gaul as an opportunist who tied her fortunes to the imperial family to escape prison or even death sentences. Others describe her as a cold-blooded killer. On one hand, she is depicted as a ruthless woman who tested her poisons on the innocent. On the other hand, sources claim that she killed indiscriminately. And unlike most serial killers, she likely did not have any thrills from her kills. Either way, the La Costa of Gaul has gone down in history and is the very first documented serial killer. Yes. I, how many do you think are, how many people do you think she killed? Thousands? Well, I, I mean, I would think thousands, but I can see that, you know, her, her students and testing all of the yeah. different formulas, that would likely be a lot more. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that she made her way when she left Gaul. She was already kind of had a name for herself as being a, a botanist, a mm-hmm. poison maker. And she had this reputation of being the the Imperial Court's official poisoner. So she, like... Who knows? Yeah. Who, who knows? knows? That's crazy. Oh, my God. At That's least crazy. hundreds. Hundreds. I think thousands. I think thousands. <laughs> Definitely. Well, she I mean, and she, you could even think that she was responsible for her students, so the you know, one, right. because she was, like, in charge of them at that time. I'm assuming that the school shut down after right. that. Right. Well, but. <laughs> between direct and indirect, she was responsible for thousands. Thousands, yeah. That yeah. is crazy. And I have to admit, while you were saying, like, the names and stuff, Listen, we need to start bringing these names back into, like, circulation. Like, I would love if somebody was, like, named, like, Britannica. What was his name? Britannicus. Britannicus. Like, what a name. Britannicus. That's a cool name. Come on. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I like that name. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Okay. You're welcome. And it's ironic that both of our girls used um, poison. I have a feeling since our theme is female serial killers, we'll be talking about a lot of poison this year. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Well, 
Because we're not leave you hanging, chatters. For more information on this case, please check out After That Crime Chat, only available on Patreon. And don't forget to follow us, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, on all of our socials, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. See what we got coming up. Remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, when you become a chatter on our Patreon, you'll have access to bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, free merch, and check out some merch in the works for season three. Woo! We may have to do some type of poison-related thing. Oh, we need some good catchphrases. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and be sure. So our next episode, we got Thanksgiving coming up. Yes. We we did the Thanksgiving murder before. We're going to stick to another Thanksgiving theme, death. So you do not want to miss it. So. We'll see you on the next Crime Chat. Bye. Bye. Bye.